Hey guys, Texas Slim here, and we are actually recording a podcast before Christmas. And you might not get this until after Christmas, but that's okay. You'll get it the week of. And so guess who I have with me? I have Holy Cow Beef. Holy cow. We have Ann and Weldon Warren out of Lubbock, Texas. Yes, they are West Texas cowboy and cowgirl. They are pioneers in the regenerative beef movement. I've known them for about a year now, and I am extremely honored because what they did over a year ago, they stepped up and they said that we want to be a part of the change of basically 100,000 people coming through the beef initiative so we can basically help people with their health their market access to true food and intelligence and the education of the family and basically the heritage way of living. So uh, this is going to be a fun rip because what we're going to do, we're not going to edit this. We're going to go all the way straight through because you know I like the story. And so I'm going to share a story. They're going to share a story and we're going to talk about West Texas winners. And I don't know, we might just keep on talking and telling stories because Texas tall tells, hell, that's the way I was taught. So, hey, I'll shut up now. And Weldon, good to see you. Last time I saw y'all was in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing today? We're doing great. What Nashville fun. Oh, Nashville Ooh. was great. We <laughs> fell in love with Nashville. That's a cool, cool place. And the people there are, are amazing. It was so fun getting there because, you know, we talked before. And of course, every, every place that we've met across the country, you take the RV, I take my pickup truck, y'all bring your Jeep. And then we all go gallivanting around in different directions. But we always kind of have the same reflection. It's like, well, that was cool. Yeah. From, you know, from Bluffton, Georgia, White Oak Pastures with Will Harris to Colorado, Jason Rick, Rick Ranches to West Texas. How many times have I stayed at y'all's house? Been four or five? I don't know. It's been enough. <laughs> Maybe you're going to kick me out. But uh, anyways, no, it was Nashville. I always look at Nashville because people say, well, how does it compare to Austin? And when I, was, I say it's softer. Is softer than Austin. Yeah, and what yeah. I mean that I'm not talking about the people, maybe I am, I don't know. But what I'm talking about is just the flow of the city. Right. And it just seems, it, I love Nashville. It's fun to just go there and you get peace of mind. And in the micro summit, you guys basically carried beef from West Texas all the way to Nashville. You fed hundreds of people over a three day period. So I'll shut up. Y'all tell us about the journey to Nashville and then we'll go backwards in this past year. And you're, history into regenerative ranching because you guys are pioneers and everybody needs to know this damn story. So tell us about Nashville. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, Texas was born from the loins of Tennessee. <laughs> that it was, that it was. <laughs> and that Nashville group of people we met reminded us of Texas. We, we really couldn't be more alike than all those Tennessee people. Yeah, very like-minded. That was fun. That was fun. The journey was fun. Um, we only drive about five or six hours a day. So it turns out to be a three-day journey for us to cross the country like that. Um, um, but you want to talk about that, the driving? <laughs> well, the, the, and, you know, I-30 and I-40 are are really good highways uh, to get you from Texas to Tennessee. Uh, highway 82 that goes a little bit north of Dallas-Fort Worth is also a really good highway. What's not fun is the highway departments of all these states have not figured out how to have a smooth transition from the interstate over the uh, bridges that we have. Now, no. Florida has figured that out. Those are smooth as glass, but but not on I-30 and I-40. No. But 95% of our driving was very smooth, yeah. very pretty, 
Uh, it we started, loved going on 82, hitting all the small towns. That was more fun than I-30. Uh, so that, The small towns of the U.S. are just beautiful. Yeah. And it rained on us or kind of drizzled and sprinkled and spit on us, probably starting uh, once we got into Arkansas for the next 12 days. Mm, that <laughs> it did. Almost every day. That was, you know, from us coming, obviously, off the worst drought that we've had in years, um, to getting a little bit of relief out here in West Texas, to living in 12 days without sun, that was that was kind of a shock. You know, that was, yeah. at first it was like, this is so awesome. And then it's like, where is the sun? I'm missing West Texas sun. So That's what I told. I, th- I can't remember who I was talking to when I was coming back. And I said, I have not seen the sun in the month of December. I know. I came back on the 13th, I think was the first day I got to see the sun. Yeah. And so it was true. I mean, it, you know, it, it was uh, rainy and dreary the whole time in Nashville. And guess what? Nashville is only 50 something miles away from the Eastern time zone too. So the sun comes up a lot earlier and right. goes down sooner. Goes so down that was, that's different from West Texas because yeah. of course we have the best sunrises and sunsets in the world. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but it's true. But anyways, yeah. So there's a lot of things that uh, was fun about that trip. Mm-hmm. I liked the dreariness. It was cool because the energy was high and it, it started, you know, what, what day did y'all get there? Because I got there on Monday. We arrived Tuesday. Okay, that's right. Yeah. And so we went and checked out Bitcoin Park, you know, got the lay of the land. It's beautiful. Can't say enough things about Josh. He was amazing. Fabulous. Yes, he Um, is. Kudos to him. Um, Dropped off the meat, uh, figured out where we were going to be doing our little slider and sausage on a stick. And then we went downtown and went to Old Red. Um, and on Broadway. Yeah. So that's, um, Blake Shelton's bar. Anyways, that was fun for us. So that was our, our time to go down there. And anyways, we had a good time. And then Wednesday, you know, we did the whole, um, hosted, I guess it was about a hundred people. Then we did sliders and sausage on a stick, very farmer market style, Mm -hmm. um, grilled the burgers there, grilled the sausage right there, um, served them as they were coming off the grill. So that was, you know, that was really fun. Had the hey, quick separate. question on that well, during the sliders, because what we did is we got you guys on Bitcoin. You know, you guys had Annalise that came out and educated, you know, for several weeks there outside of uh, Lubbock in, you know, Ibex and of course, you know, Michael with Oshi. And yeah. so you guys basically innovated into the Bitcoin pain space and yeah. you're some of the, you know, you're, you're now going across the country and you're accepting Bitcoin. Yeah. And so how much, how much did, did y'all percentage wise, you think people paid in Bitcoin there uh, Wednesday at the park? Oh, 80. 100%. No, no, no. It was, it was definitely 80. It was definitely That's high. That's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. Was, there was just a couple people um, that had cash. Um, and there was one person that had something else, a, a Venmo. We did have, only had one Venmo, but mm-hmm. everything else was, yeah, Bitcoin. So. But, and I tell you, the Bitcoin, the people paying with Bitcoin, that was the smoothest it and was. easiest transaction of all. It's smoother than cash. Yeah. By far. It was. I mean, was. every bit about it. It really was. It's boom, really boom, was. you're done. Hey, yep. thank you so yep. much. You get that little feeling. It's like, well, cool. Well, I just got paid. I know. <laughs> you know? And for us, that you know, we're we're older. Technology is not super easy anymore. Um, sure. For us, integrating and not just learning, but wanting to be part of Bitcoin, we're still newbies. I mean, we still need to be orange build all the time. And but Weldon learned so much. He can tell you. You took you took Bitcoin from like five or six different wallets and people would walk up to him and say, can I use this wallet? He's like, yep, I already did this. And he was like, just like um, that. And that's 
that's amazing because like I said, we're not that great with technology. So it was flawless and you did it with ease. And I really think we ought to do away with the dollar and just go straight to the Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> That's what a lot of people are trying to accomplish. <laughs> Watch yeah. out. We're going to get censored. Anyways, yeah. that's funny. Right. But uh, no, going to Bitcoin Park, what a great establishment that they've created there. The founders, which yeah. of course are, you know, uh, Rod, and then we got uh, Matt Odell, and then we yeah. got Mills. And yep. we have, of course, Josh, and he was operations manager. Man, we couldn't have pulled that off without Josh. He was phenomenal. Rod put me up in an Airbnb. They just do things right. Yeah, and, you know, once again, I've been giving them props, but I'm going to do a special uh, kind of New Year's, you know, thank uh, Nashville for everything that we did this year. Because I, you know, I drove there first in, I believe it was right at first of June. And it was my first time there. And I think I, that was my fourth visit this year whenever oh, wow. we went back all together. So that so shows you a roadmap. Yeah. 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 And we want to be invited back and for then, sure. That's just a very cool place. Very and cool. what's great about their location is they're kind of halfway between Vanderbilt and Belmont. Yeah. yeah. It's a very collegiate environment. And there's there's just that youth that is in the air yeah and yet it's a conservative youth it's not the woke youth no and we just really enjoyed that environment yeah. it was just good spirit i mean a good vibe you could yeah it really is every time i've been there so you know that's why we have a tennessee beef initiative headquarters coming yeah. through and it looks like uh if we're gonna have to you know we're gonna start selling tickets somewhere the first of the year to the next one and i think we're gonna have it in october Oh, so good. that's what it's not final, but we'll kind of right. go from there. So we're going to be there. But going yeah. back to the going to the back to the week in in Tennessee and Nashville. We had a micro summit, yeah. And you guys have been with us basically on every micro summit except the first one. Couldn't right. get down to Kerrville, but you right. came to Colorado. You went out to White Oak Pastures. You uh, basically came down to uh, Luling at yes. the Kill It and Grill It for the processing center. There you go, White Oak Pastures. <laughs> and then, uh, and of course, you ended up here, you know, in Nashville at Bitcoin Park. So yep. let's talk about your journey from each one. And then we'll kind of do the, you know, the closure of, you know, what you guys think of these micro summits. What did they mean for you as far as the rancher themselves? Put yourself in the shoes of somebody that's listening to this that might be a producer rancher for the first time or maybe a consumer or somebody that wants to basically make this their lifestyle. What did you see that we, you know, kind of worked on and facilitated throughout the year? So just give us your thoughts on that. Um, for me, it was, um, it was the networking. Uh, giving the rancher a voice has been kind of your battle cry this year. And mm -hmm. I think when you connect us as ranchers and we get to compare like what works well in one part of the country versus what works well in a different part of the country and what works well. Um, so us like reconnecting with Will Harris, I mean, we've met him several times on various functions from our involvement with Whole Foods to just traveling, passing through, you know, sit down, have lunch, but to really reconnect with him. And, you know, now I'm exchanging Christmas cards. I'm sending him a bottle of wine because he, he, he and I shared a couple bottles of wine as we went out and checked his cattle every night. And um, we, I'm sending him uh, a great Karsten, remember Karsten from Canyon? Mm -hmm. I'm sending him his application to possibly do an internship with Will. So reconnecting and giving us that voice where we have those relationships 
Um, now, I mean, every time we see Jason Rick, it's just a giant big hug. You know, it's like there's a guy that's just like us doing the same thing in a different part of the country and just building that bond and giving us a stronger voice and giving us affirmation that, you know, we're not just out in this world by ourselves trying to forage a path of like, hey, people need to eat beef again. People need to eat protein. It's really important. Children should not be not having meat every day like they're doing in New York. And we'll get back to that later. So and sure. so, what I like to do, uh, Slim, and I'm getting better and better at it. Every time I'm t- I have the opportunity to talk to a rancher, uh, my, my peers in the industry, I just tell them how easy it is to uh, let these people connect with the rancher. They can go to the website, Beef Initiative, drill down into the state where they're living, they can find a rancher near them and go out and shake that guy's hand and know in their heart, they will never have beef insecurity again. Right. That's, <laughs> that is, I mean, getting that message out and getting more ranchers to sign up on the beef initiative so people can find them and give them what, that market access that you're talking about. Um, has been part of our little battle cry as well. And that's been, I mean, that's that's such a, an awesome thing to say, you can find it. Just go to the website. There's someone who's close to you. I mean, we are shipping boxes with you. We're definitely willing to do all that. But our goal too, just like yours, is to get people to buy local as close as they can for that security. Yeah, and that's a good point because people, you know, they get confused sometimes about the Beef Initiative because we've never designed it. You know, JP, our co-founder yep. that we all love, JP. Hey, JP, y'all <laughs> look up JP. He's he's good. He's going to have a bigger voice this year. He's he's not he's not so shy now. So uh, <laughs> he's going to come out, and we're going to talk about how how strong we are with our technology because wow. we've designed this platform so producers can feel that there's a gate and it's open, and we're encouraging you to. Come Come in through that gate. We know the path has been very wide, and we'll use that from scriptures. But what we do know is that there is a gateway for the ranchers to come in to have that voice. And so a lot of people get confused. Well, what are we doing? What are we selling? Well, you have all kinds of different value adds within the Beef Initiative platform. It's like, okay, if you're in Timbuktu or if you just love you know, grass-fed, grass-finished beef, guess what? Holy cow is our major distributor to do grass-finished beef. If you want something that it's Cole Bolton does with K&C cattle, grass-fed, organic grain finish that he sources locally, well, you got that too. I always joke around, I got four ranchers in my freezer right now. So, <laughs> so I'll tell everybody there's a lot of different value adds for the consumer, but what we really do want to do is we want to be able to ship across the United States. Yes. Right now, we will take that responsibility. We're battling shipping costs. We're doing everything we can to bring it good to where people can't compare us against ButcherBox or Amazon or whatever they're shipping, getting their beef shipped from. What we're going to do is we're going to go toe-to-toe with these guys, and we will be able to compete with them from volume to price points to varieties to value, okay? Because we know we have the best value. We have the best beef in the world. That's what the Beef Initiative is about. But also, so if you're, you know, if you're a consumer, you can go find a local producer. We have 110 producers now that have come in voluntarily to the beef initiative. I didn't go out there and sell, say, would you please, would you please come along? They right. came along themselves. And that's what it was intended to be. Cause we could have put producers, we could have been like, uh, what are those eatwild.com or grassfed.com, all that stuff. We wanted you to come in voluntarily. So producers, ranchers, 
listen to this podcast. Consumers share this podcast if you know a ranger producer. And so we're, we're giving a lot of different options for you to design your life around it. You want to eat both grass-fed, grass-finished, grass, you know, uh, organic grain finish. You want your local producer. I went and picked up $300 worth of beef from Justin just down the street the other day because of panhandle meats. I still got some of the stuff that I've got from y'all. I got coal, quarter of a cow. I still got Jason stuff from Colorado <laughs> and it's building. I got to go get another freezer. And somebody asked me the other day, I think it was Cole. He said, hey, people want to know what kind of freezer to get. So I'm going to go back to that. But really, it's, it's a quarter of a cow is four cubic feet. Half of a cow is eight cubic feet. Full cow is 16 cubic feet. And we'll go back to that. But anyways, that's a good little added bonus. Yeah. But by saying that, Everybody needs to start really knowing that the beef initiative is being led by the producers and ranchers themselves. Yeah. It's not all Texas Slim up here with his tall tails, but it's you guys. And right. y'all are starting to create this collaboration that's just beautiful, really. Yeah. And you guys are really talking to each other and yeah. you're really innovating into this space. Right. And so right. it's for everybody. And right. you know, everybody finds a, a place within the beef initiative. And so going back to that, you know, um, going back to the micro summit, going back to let's go into the micro summit itself. I mean, because you guys spoke, uh, you've spoken at several of them. Let's let's let everybody know kind of what was said. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot a lot was said. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm not sure exactly where to start on that except we're all concerned about our, our beef supply. Uh, the American rancher is under a lot of stress, and we won't know what we had until we lose it if we do that. So we appreciate what the Beef Initiative is doing to highlight the American rancher. And more importantly, the consumer really needs to know they have that option. They have that is the best option to always know they're going to have beef in the freezer and to heck with whatever Klaus is doing in the WEF, uh, we don't have to worry about that. But these beeping, these conferences and the micro summits are all just very educational. And I think you'd nail it right there. You know, Weldon is is whenever we first started this. You know, what are we going to do? Do a dog and pony show at these places? What we see from both the ranchers and from the consumers is they want to be educated. Right. And, and that's one of my things that I tell everybody today is like, how do you talk to a rancher? Well, you go up and you shake their hand, you look them in the eye and say, would you educate me? Right. And so that's something that you guys have been doing for a very long time. Your educators first and foremost. Right. Every one of the major, you know, producers in the pioneers that came into the beef initiative within the first conversation I had with all of y'all, y'all said we're educators. Right. People don't know this. They don't right. understand how how deep the rabbit hole goes back into basically, you know, regenerative farming and ranching, but just the the cattle industry itself. And, you know, as far as saying those two things right now, you guys pioneered with Will Harris, as you brought up before, Ann, into mm -hmm. Whole Foods. And let's talk about that story real quick because it leads back into the micro summit. So it's so um it was, it was all about getting a grass-fed label from the USDA or FISIS, F-S-I-S. Mm -hmm. And we all met in Austin, and that's where we first met uh, Will Harris was in What Austin. year was that, guys? 
2005. Yeah, about that time, 2004, yeah. 2005. I remember, you know, Austin at that time, and you guys did. Y'all, y'all met in Austin. That's where Whole Foods originated. Ninth right. and right there between Ninth and Tenth, uh, Lamar. Lamar, yeah, Lamar. Lamar. yeah famous Lamar. being Lamar. So we met, and uh, you know, how can you not like Will Harris? And so we we were successful in getting a the first grass fed label from FSIS or USDA, and uh, it didn't uh, prohibit antibiotics or hormones. So we lost on that, but we did get the grass fed label, and w- then we were off and running with Whole Foods in what we call the Southwest region that included Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana. And th- that, those are four pretty big states. So yeah. that, that was about 40-something stores for Whole Foods. But be- let's just go even back just a little bit further. Before, when we first solicited Whole Foods, um, we were only one of four ranchers that actually did grass finishing in the state of Texas at that time. All four of us approached Whole Foods and Whole Foods said, no way, this is only feedlot com- country, go go start a retail business and come back and tell us how it went. All four of us started retail business, all four of us still have a retail business, but it was doing exactly what you said. We had to educate our consumer on why they wanted to eat grass-finished beef. Um, in fact, and- it was a requirement that we were on a schedule to go into stores uh, and do a cooking demonstration. Yeah, once we came in, then then... And we, so they loved, they wanted us to continue that retail business because we were their grassroots. We were out there educating the consumer, but Weldon's right. We went in, um, I don't know, like every two or three months and did a demo. We did a cooking demo, but we stood there and you would think that the Whole Foods consumer was one of the most educated, but, but really a lot of people just didn't understand the difference between um, the nutritional value between grain, grain finishing and, and grass well, the, finishing. The typical misconception is uh, the consumer would say, well, all cows eat grass at some point in their life, so aren't right. they all grass fed? Right. And we were able to educate them that for the nutrient density that they're really seeking, that cow, you know, we believe is best when it's finished on grass. Right. And that means, you know, from birth to finishing, they're on the they're in the pasture and on grass. Right. And but that's talking about omega threes and omega sixes, the fatty acid profile. And so, as JP would be able to tell you, when he came to our front porch the first time he bought beef from us, we had an hour long conversation about Bitcoin and grass fed <laughs> and the saturated fat and omega threes, the profile, and, and it's just like, wow, this is really good. You know, you don't. JP's a smart guy and well read. Yes, yes. well read, and it was such a delight to to banter back and forth, and mm-hmm. we share what we know, and he's sharing with us what he knows, and it's like this is so cool, right? And well, so- and you bring up a good point there because you know, what I've known in my life because we we all reside right in a breadbasket in the belly of commodity cowboy country. This is what the Texas Panhandle is. And one thing I knew from the beginning, and this is what's been so beautiful about the beef initiative, everybody coming in, is everybody has a great uh, protocol that they get to speak to. 
and they get to say their why behind that protocol. And you guys are very good at, at your why as far as the omega-3s and 6s and everything. Right. And, and the entry points that people can come into the beef initiative as far as their knowledge, their consumption, you know, what, what are they trying to do with their health, with their true, you know, intentionality of getting down deep within the density of nutrition that beef gives you. And so that's what, you know, I tell everybody from the outside in and from inside out, you guys have heard me, hey, there's no competition here. We're all doing this together in that information share. I mean, you know, Cole, right after he met Jason, he was, I don't think Cole had met y'all yet. He was calling Jason talking about certain grasses down in, you know, that part of Texas. And then Jason's, you know, figuring out a little bit more about his protocol and drought ridden, you know, South Texas. And so, you know, that collaboration and that information share is is basically what we're saying right now, because I started with food intelligence as a hashtag. Well, we're going to go, we're going to go pretty, uh, pretty hot and heavy with the beef intelligence. Well, and that's, that's what the ranchers are providing. Yeah. And it, it's vast right. and it's wide and we're going to go very deep with it. So, right, right. And people just don't understand how important it is to eat beef. I mean, all proteins mm-hmm. are animal proteins are important, especially when they're pastured, but, but beef in particular, and that's why it's, it's literally a crime. And I'm just going to say it, it's a crime what the governor or not governor, the mayor of New York city has done in in taking that meatless Mondays and then vegan Fridays where these children do not get any animal protein, let alone beef. Um, It just absolutely breaks my heart because children above all they have to have beef in their diet for their brain development it's just that that fat and there's there there are nutrients in beef alone that you cannot get in the plant world there mm-hmm. just can't and so we have to consume even if it's three to four ounces a week you have to consume beef it's just now i believe in doing a cleanse i believe in doing certain things for a season in your life such as um, a whole 30 diet or even being a vegan for 30 days or being something to kind of give your body a break um, or being carnivore, being strict carnivore. We have obviously a lot of customers um, and and associates that are, you know, really that's their lifestyle. I, I Weldon and I are about to do a hardcore carnivore for, for Lent, um, 40 days of just only eating really clean protein and nothing else. That gives your body that time to heal and to recoup from all the other things that we do to it. But children have to have some beef. They have to, whether it's mm-hmm. good, better, or best beef. It, it doesn't matter. They've got to have good. They've got to have beef. They need beef, and I think any integrative functional doctor worth his salt, the very first thing he will tell his patient is, "You need to eat more beef." Yeah. I know Dr. Ben Edwards here with Veritas and Lubbock uh, says that if you're having to choose how you spend your money eat beef. Right. And then it better best, but that doesn't really matter as much as eat more beef. Right. These carnivores are onto something. Mm-hmm. We're all, Ann and I are probably about 90% carnivore. Yeah, we eat a lot. And the fat of that beef is the most important part. It's got that saturated fat in there. Oh my goodness. It's so healthy for you. Yeah. We can solve half of our school problems uh, if our kids were eating more beef. And, yeah. and Slim, this is a topic that we never really uh, have expounded on more, but it's the school district in Guthrie that you and I talked about. Yeah, they, they were experiencing, and they're right out there by the Four Sixes Ranch, one of the biggest ranches. Yeah, let's Texas. bring that up. That's big because it's one of the biggest ranchers. At, at certain times, one of the biggest ranches in the world. 
the four yeah. sixes out yeah. there in Guthrie, Texas, which is basically West Texas. And, West. Uh, you know, right there by Spur. I mean, it's just a beautiful part of Texas. But go well, ahead and yeah. kind of speak what they did. Yeah. They, they called Weldon. Yeah. So the superintendent called me and confirmed that we were, you know, grass fed operators. And he said, hey, I've got an idea to run by you. Uh, I think I'm going to be successful through the education system in, in Texas and getting, letting us control the diet of our students versus the state controlling the diet that really comes down from the food pyramid of the USDA. And he said, uh, we'd like to source meat from you guys and we're going to change the diet of our kids and we're going to measure uh, or track the metrics on absenteeism, the great, you know, what kind of grades they're making, uh, their days that they're out uh, sick, their testing results, every metric that you can track on their health and their academics, every one of those metrics improved when they went on their own diet, which included a whole lot of beef. Yeah, every day they had... They had animal protein every lunch. There was there wasn't cheese pizza served on Friday. They had meat on that pizza. So there was definitely and, and what else? They did other it things. Was, it was almost low an, carb. They did low carb for sure. And it was almost an immediate response mm-hmm. that these kids mentally and physically had to having such a high intake of beef in their diet, and it, it, it just it validated everything we already knew. Uh, we'd never seen that kind of test done. We believed what the results would show, and sure enough, it did. And so why isn't this whole country doing that? Why aren't we promoting through our governments, through the states, to eat more beef? Well, we know. Well, I mean, let's put that in perspective. We know why. There's, There's a prohibition against uh, good health. And that's it's, it, it's been transferred. And so yeah, that's in that program. You know, and what we do is my biggest thing in the very beginning was that, hey, we're going to teach you uh, things that your grandfather and great grandfather knew. And we're going to take a step back in time. Every event I've had is like, okay, wait, we're going to pause here. Everybody slow down. We're going to do some reflection. There's legacy here and there's heritage. And it got us here. And it was based on survival and basically truth and authenticity within food. It's so simple, it's complicated to most people. And these little stories like Weldon that you just said, I mean, here we got a a massive ranch that is feeding their community. What a novel freaking idea, man. That's exactly what we always did. It's how we got here, folks. You know, we talk about it. Weldon, you guys, this could be a five-hour podcast, but we'll only make it three. I'm joking, but we'll, 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 we'll do as good as we can. But there's 254 counties in the state of Texas. We had over 200, how many mothball uh, abattoirs processing centers that we have now in the state of Texas? Probably 250. 250, somewhere right around in there. But that's the the thing that people don't really fully realize because they don't have access to that type of education, that type of history. And that's what, once again, that's what we're doing within the Beef Initiative. We have a collection of people that understand where they came from and they're building off that ancestral and heritage education, as Jason Rick likes to say, and both Cole Bolton say, it's observational science. And, you know, yeah, it's just perfect. And, you know, you think about a school system. What year was that that they were doing that out in Guthrie? Do you remember exactly? I think it was 2015. 2015. 
were here and we were, we were pretty well established. So it was about that time, maybe 2014, 2016. I don't know, but it was right around that time. And this mm-hmm. superintendent wanted to source meat from us. And I said, whatever, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. The superintendent, I said, you know, you've got one of the biggest ranchers in yeah. the country in your backyard. Why don't you go solicit him? And sure yeah. enough, they did. They did, and, and then and they did. So four sixes started providing that meat, yeah. and so it was it was a great result for the school kids and everyone in that community. Yeah. And let me dovetail really quickly, uh, Slim, and I think you wanted me to to hit on this anyway. But that is our health story: is that we were eating, you know, the traditional American junk food diet, mm-hmm. and then we were surprised when I had my stroke. And it's not well; we're not really surprised because of the way we've been eating, and it. It, you know, it was a series of things that happened. I I read an article about grass-fed uh, ranching in Texas. There was one rancher that they profiled in Texas Monthly. And I thought, well, all this guy's doing is what my granddad did. Going back. So going back to our ancestry and to our, our really our lineage, uh, I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And I just had to go do it. So, I mean, I was a money manager in Dallas. And I moved to Graham, Texas, really to to the ranch near Possum Kingdom and started finishing grass fed to cure my own health issues. And it was like, keep your fingers crossed, pray a lot. I hope this works. (laughs) I had 50% blockage in my carotids and all six arteries of the heart. And after a few years of eating probably 75% animal proteins, we had our own free range eggs, our own raw milk, uh, our own chickens, our own rabbits and our own beef. And when we went back and got this full body scan, the, the lady that was doing the scan said, now, how old are you, Alan? She looked at the chart and she goes, your vascular system looks like you're like in, in your early 30s. I had zero blockage, whereas I did have 50% blockage. And so that right there is just a testimony to what mm-hmm. clean food does. Right. The, the body's an amazing thing. Our immune system is a miraculous thing that we abuse through all these synthetics that we're consuming, uh, processed and adulterated foods, seed oils and all this. Right. Well, we just quit. And yeah. it takes a little while to do that. But we've been very successful in quitting that. And thank goodness we don't spend much money in the medical system. We don't spend any money, uh, really, to speak of. Uh, on the industrial food system right. junk that they're trying to peddle to us. Right, right. And we're well, not on a medication. I mean, our peers just can't believe that. Like our relatives that are our age group, and they're just like, what do you mean you're not at what? You're not taking this, you're not taking that. It's like, no, we we take nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they're all statins and blood thinners. Right. All kinds of things. Of course. I mean, 78% of the Americans take uh, two prescriptions, I think. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. And and one thing that, you know, you bring up and as far as your journey, I mean, that was 20 years ago when you had your stroke roundabout, right? Yep. So yeah. it, 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 this doesn't happen overnight. It is a international lifestyle, like I like to say, because right. we are going global. But anyways, what it is, it's a shift. It's a right. shift of uh, your intentionality. It's a shift of your consumer demand that becomes that lifestyle. You think it's going to be hard because everybody's got it in there, hardwired in their head is that when you change your behavior, it's difficult. What people don't understand that this is the easiest lifestyle change you'll ever have in your life. There's a first, you know, the first, let's say first month is a pain point for some because coming off industrial food as we know it today, which is a drug, 
you do go through a shift as, as far as your metabolical health. Yeah. You know, you do go through a form of, I'd say, detox in a yeah, way, you know, yeah. to cleanse your body. And so people are even afraid to get that far because, you know, I my father was a counselor, counseled uh, women for 25 years that were addicted to drugs and alcohol and any types of other drugs or whatever it is, just addictive behavior. But addiction is a behavioral change. And basically, usually the alcohol, the drug or the food is the symptom of that behavioral change. So if you're willing to fight through that behavioral change, then your body follows really fast. Like you said, Weldon, it comes screaming back to life. Your mind, body and spirit is something that you're actually paying to try to find out here in this world and you don't really have to. You end up finding that your consumerism changes to where you're not spending as much money as a consumer at the industrial food complex supermarkets and everything that they offer us. And you really do, you you get that reflection. You get that clarity of like, maybe you see a reflection of yourself that you've never seen. And that's what we always like from the rooftop, the mountaintop, may I say, that we always scream about. And we're not selling something, we're sharing something. And we're asking you to come along with us. But part of that education, Slim, I like to tell people, (laughs) it's funny how they react. They really are, they almost don't believe me. They're kind of incredulous. But I'll say, okay, uh, two examples of the industrial food system. Dairy Queen, Warren Buffett owns Dairy Queen. Dairy is the first word in that name. And there is no dairy in no. dairy. It's synthetic. Yeah. And then there's Kraft cheese. Uh, only 51% of cheese on the label has to be cheese. And so then you go, what the hell is the other 49%? I know. I mean, yeah. the people out there, the consumers in the United States don't realize just what amount of junk is in our food right. that's not really true in most of the, the rest of the world it's right. in the u.s right. sure and we're going to take back our own sovereignty control of our own diet eat real food yeah. enjoy real health right and and support the american rancher while we're doing that right and it's an, it's so easy it flows once you kind of get the structure of what we're doing here I always tell people, you know, especially now that we've completed this last year of grassroots foundational building is that what we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating and we're stewarding an international health initiative in the great American rancher is leading that health initiative because it's about saving our children's lives. It's about saving the family unit. It's about basically saving the, the, the self in a way that that doesn't mind to surrender over into something bigger than themselves. Right. And, and, and that's that's part of what this lifestyle is. And it's it's so profoundly strong and sovereign that, you know, I, I love it. You know, the emails that I get each day, you guys get it all the time. People that have changed their behavior to where now their life is something better. And they basically have a relationship with you. You, you guys share information about your families. You, you actually have obligation to that transaction, that peer-to-peer transaction. And you guys have been pioneers in that. And, you know, you've been in Whole Foods for how many years now? 10, 15, 12, 13? What is it? 16 years, yeah. 16 years? Okay. Well, how, all right, we're going to get personal here. Uh, how many cattle do y'all run through Whole Foods? Okay, so this is a really good point. And thank mm-hmm. you for asking that question. <laughs> sure. But roughly 700 head of cattle, uh, about four to 500 go to Whole Foods 
and the balance is our retail market. So yeah. individual peer to peer. Right. What the story I love to tell uh, to a newbie, someone just kind of coming to the front porch for the first time, as I said, look, if if you're if you're a believer in God and His, you know, master plan for us, we have sunlight almost every day. It feeds the grasses of our lands that dominate, um, you know, ninety percent of our of the dirt of our earth is is grasses. <clears throat> we can't, con- <clears throat> excuse me, we can't consume that grass ourselves, but these cattle do. They're great sequesters of carbon. For roughly, let's say those 700 animals that we uh, sell every year, uh, each animal is sequestering three and a half pounds of of carbon, uh, the carbon gases for every pound of beef that we sell. So 700 times about 400 pounds of beef per animal. And And I've never done, I've never asked this, is it finished beef or is it the live animal weight that it's done that with? But I really think it's the meat itself. But so anyway, it could you know our animals weigh about eleven to twelve hundred pounds, or if it's the four hundred pounds of box beef, they're sequestering three and a half pounds of carbon. And so, what a great thing God set up for our animals to do for our global mitigate global warming mitigation. You know, we're we're mitigating the carbon footprint through the cattle that are grazing. I don't I don't really think feedlots do that same type of thing, but animals on grass do that. Well, guess what? God knew that, what, maybe about <laughs> 2 billion years ago? Uh, Never. When he was going to set this up for us. And so every time someone eats beef, they're helping the global warming problem, if we really even have a problem. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, that it was that. Now that that's a good point because, you know, uh, it, it gives perspective, right? And, and one thing that we're shifting as well, you know, and everybody really gets hung up on this climate change and this carbon credit hazard that the cow is now classified. And you ask them, you ask people, well, why would they say something like that? Why are they feeding us the deception? Well, once again, you know, it gives perspective of they're trying to basically make you dependent upon them in a way that you are led into based on some ignorance, you know, innocent ignorance, I'd say, but also basically it's, it's a way to cause confusion. And one thing that you, you you bring up, uh, now I've got JP, uh, working on a a little, uh, project and it's, it's about saying how many cows we have in the United States. Guess what folks, we could already feed every family in the United States with the existing cows that we have right now. We don't have to increase the number of our herds or anything we can feed and we'll be able to feed Mexico too. So, you know, there's, there's perspectives that people don't understand. And if we got them on grass, oh, there's not enough land. Yes, there is. JP's diving deep into that too, to where all the agricultural land right now that we're not using or that we are using under BLM and all these other things that they have as the government, we actually, gosh, we have more than enough land. We have enough cattle to feed every American family, to feed every child. And why is that not happening? Well, most of our beef is being shipped overseas now by multinational corporations and they're selling it to the highest bidders. And then we're eating trim that's put together from other countries such as Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Africa, 
South America in general, that's just a name a few. So think about that. West Texas, and they say, well, West Texas can't really do regenerative farming and ranching. Well, do you know much about the Llano Estacado? Well, it was basically stewarded by millions of bison. And so before our us jackasses got here, we had plenty of grasslands that had never been touched. And some of that grassland produces some of the best protein for those cattle to eat. So more perspective. Well, I led you into it. So what do you, what happens when you take the genetics of an Angus in East Texas and bring them out here to these wonderful, great grass plains of the Llano Estacado, which we call the Caprock? Yes, that is a great story. So we had our own cow-calf operation uh, and that was based out of uh, a ranch uh, to the uh, west of Corsicana. Uh, and when that partnership ended uh, about 10 years ago, and of course, I learned this from my dad since he was a farmer rancher, uh, you know, when I was a really young kid. But I actually got to see this in practice and then began implementing this program into our finishing program. And that is when you take cattle that are born and raised in East Texas in a really wet environment. For example, Corsicana probably gets about 50 inches of rain a year. Uh, West Texas gets somewhere between 12 and 15 on a good year, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but that's the average, but yeah, who knows really. Uh, So the animal in East Texas has a a very large rumen and the, 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 the example I like to use, let's just say their rumen is four footballs in size. And then the West Texas cow graze, that's born and, and raised here in West Texas has a rumen the size of one football uh, because the West Texas grass is 90% protein and 10% water. It's this dehydrated protein that we have in our grasses here. In East Texas, it's 90% water and 10% protein. So they've got this big honking rumen four football side that they have to fill up every day just to get enough protein in there to make a living you bring those calves that are born with that big rumen to west texas where now they can put four times the amount of protein into that that rumen that they could in east texas we were getting four to five pounds of gain per day so it's almost like a feedlot on grass We brought in these animals from another producer that we're partners with over in Athens, Texas. They came in at roughly 600 pounds, and in 150 days, they had gained 600 pounds. And you can't, I mean, we, this whole country ought to divide itself up into what is more arid country and more, and then the other is the more uh, wet environment. And those two groups ought to be trading animals. The arid area should be importing those young, you know, your six or 700 pound uh, weanlings into the arid country. And you talk about feeding the country, uh, you're getting four to five pounds a gain on that cap up to its finishing weight of 1,200 pounds. Uh, There ought to be a USDA program where they focus and really bring the light to bear on moving these calves from a wet environment to an arid environment for the benefit of Americans uh, and the beef industry. Right. But they don't. And and, and we don't, and we know why, you know, is there censorship of true beef intelligence? We know everything, but that's why we're here. That's why we we lead here in in West Texas with a lot of this. We lead in Texas from all of our little nodes that we've created from 
Jason, to Will Harris, you know, and Will Harris was on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan kept on saying, well, how is this scalable? We're not just trying to scale a damn thing here. What we're trying to do is replicate the beef intelligence that we're sharing today. And if we do that across every community across the world, guess what? I guess you could call it scaling. I don't think so. It's very unique and it's very uh, basically, um, you know, up to the individual ranchers themselves to bring that intelligence that works for their environment, the arid environments, the dry environments, you know, what, what was already here before we ever got here. And being from West Texas, this is usually whenever I tell a story and I stop and we edit and everything. So we're going to tell a story about West Texas and it's getting cold here, isn't it? Yeah. It's supposed to be it down is. to up here, up here in, uh, in Canyon. It's supposed to be negative five with the wind chill of negative whatever, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever it does. Depends on how, <laughs> how, how hard that wind blows. But it reminded me there's not going to be any damn snow over Christmas. And that's, that's unfortunate. But before we got on the podcast, we were talking about, you know, how I grew up in in Christmas times and, you know, whenever we had snow, like sometimes three, three to four feet, you know, what we used to do is we used to get behind our pickup trucks and we are close to the mountains and we can ski better. You know, I used to starch my jeans, okay, my Wranglers, and I'd starch them as much as I could so we could get, you know, I couldn't afford ski pants. So we wore starch Wranglers out there with, we didn't wear cowboy hats, but anyways, we were poor cowboys boy skiers and you know we're pretty close to the mountains well we're pretty damn good skiers especially when you're getting pulled behind the truck on a dirt road through bar ditches and sometimes <laughs> so we were very creative growing up i had my license the day i turned 15 and i never looked back and so we got into lots of troubles you could work on your pickup trucks back then and you could slap on some skis and get your damn rope, and then you could get pulled. Well, sometimes we got bold, and we would go. Usually, it was two trucks, and we had about six of us. You know, we'd try, take take turns and uh, wearing the same pair of boots, and you take time to shift. Well, we always one time it was a big dare. We had a lot of dang snow, and we had a lot of ice, and we had a lot of snow. Well, it was perfect. School was out and everything. Well, we got tired of the bar ditches. Well, let's go into town. So we get over there to the high school. Okay. And so we got two trucks pulling skiers, doing basically donuts, trying to kill each other. They're just skiing behind the truck, you know, getting a lot of <laughs> torque and speed. Well, at one point in time, I'm driving one truck. My buddy D-Ray's doing the other one, okay? We got two skiers behind. Well, here comes two cops. And oh. so they turn on their lights, and I said, well, I'm a better driver than that cop. Let's go for a ride. Oh, and so no. we start running from the cops in Canyon, Texas. And so here we are. We got two dudes skiing. And I say, we're going to see how, you know, maybe their parents are going to be pissed off at them tonight, or maybe they're not. So anyways, two trucks go two separate directions. And basically, one car, police car, comes one way. One police car comes the other way. So one of them's chasing me. Well, I got bold and went down this road. I didn't think that police car could come because I didn't tell anybody I had chains on my 
tires. So here I got chains on my tires. Still got my buddy pulling to him and he's hanging on. He's scared as crap. D-Ray goes the other day. He didn't have chains on his tire. So D-Ray gets pulled over and he stops. Well, the other cop that couldn't find me, well, he had to go over and help the other one. So they had to go arrest those guys. I got (laughs) home and I went to bed. They came knocking and it's like, man, I've been home all night. I don't know. I snuck through back through my window and was like, I've always good like that. I never did get caught, but that's one of those West Texas stories that I miss, you know, that we used to get to do. And so, you know, you guys raising your kids here, you guys, you know, you have your children that help you run. Holy cow. I wish we had snow over those holidays. So what's your story? I know. (laughs) Well, I, I tell this to people because I, I, I finally got to kind of tell my story, my personal story about being a city girl gone country. And I look back at, at my, motherhood and I just wouldn't have it any other way than to raise especially my boys but my girls too I mean they're tough as nails my girls are but my two boys just got to be men and manly at a young age you know from wrangling snakes but my favorite of course it's Christmas time and so my favorite thing is watching them come of age of being old enough to hold a chainsaw and going down and cutting down our Christmas tree and so that became a very um uh, nostalgic tradition. tradition for us that we did. And the boys, you know, and Weldon would go out there and the girls and I would have everything ready when they got back and they were freezing cold. And a lot of times it was snow. And, um, but anyways, it was just, you know, when you have the opportunity to connect with nature and you just get to see boys become men and girls become women, you know, that everyone's nutritionally balanced and there is no gender confusion. And, and it's not even a negative thing that they're doing this type of work. I, I really didn't want to be out there cutting that tree down, you know, but man, did they just get fired up and with that chainsaw going, you know, that's just, you know, power tool in their hand. It was just, and the best thing know. about that slim is if you're out there long enough, you get the opportunity to make yellow snow. Yes, of course. <laughs> Boys and girls, and and right there when the boys and girls write your names, yeah, you have no question about the difference between a boy and a girl. (laughs) One's squatting and one's not. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to pee in snow and spell Texas Slim? Difficult. (laughs) Pretty hard. (laughs) There you go. Well, we're talking about yellow snow. Have y'all ever? Did you? Did your boys or I'm not your girls didn't do this. I hope Maybe. not. But did any of your boys ever pee on an electric fence? Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> my and my cousin. It's kind of funny. We had the electric fence when I was a kid, and I probably, I probably made him a bet. You know that he wouldn't do this. Uh, I just knew the the height of his girth, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. And and this was a really hot fence, and so. <laughs> I kind of jumped over with one leg popping up higher than the other. And then I got on the other side and I said, okay, Lewis, come on, you got to get over. Well, he didn't jump. He just tried to step it, you know, side, you know, step, throw your leg over. Well, that caught him right in the gonad and it shocked him. And, you know, he jumped about five feet in the air and, and, and he still, you know, holds that against me today yeah. that I taunted him into that. Yeah. Well, that, that, that reminds me, it's a good, saying that I grew up with is like, all right, if you got your first, your, your, uh, one foot in, uh, in tomorrow and one foot in, in basically 
um, yesterday, then you're taking a big old dump on today, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're, <laughs> if you're not careful and you don't know how to navigate the electric fence, you got one foot on one side, the other one on the other. Well, you're going to, you're great, basically going to get attracted to uh, electricity and you might just get kind of uh, held down with it. Cause if you get, sometimes you can't break free of electricity when you're being electri- electrocuted. And yeah, I've had that happen many times. Are the you going to talk about tests? Yeah, well, I was yeah, I will. Talk about yeah, the funny thing about electricity for kids, it's a great lesson in anatomy and physiology <laughs> because you will learn right at that moment that electricity is what moves the muscles. Yeah, yeah, sure. Definitely move you yeah. off that fence. So we, you know, I I love that the Beef Initiative is all about education, and we're really trying. But sometimes hard knocks and and wisdom it has to come by experience. And so we, one of our daughters is just stubborn as all get out. And she, you know, we said, "Don't touch that! Don't touch that!" And sure enough, she grabbed hold of electric fence, and then she couldn't let go. And she was screaming, "I can't let go!" We're like, "Let go! Let go! I can't!" Exactly. Let go. We had to just push her off. And of course, if we would have grabbed her, we would have been shocked too. So we literally had to push our daughter with the sole of our boots to get her off that electric fence that she could. Well, that let muscle go. contracted and it just clamped down yeah, that, she on that. That's yeah, what she happens. Yeah, that's the dangers. See, <laughs> folks, we start with uh, you know, skiing in bar ditches during the snow and going and peeing on electric fences, and then how <laughs> you get too attracted to that electricity and it can be a bad thing or it can be a learning thing. It's all about education and a lot of energy here. So we brought up energy. Well, then let's talk about energy. I talk about the energy will, you know, and what, what a vertical integration looks like from the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the rancher producer, to the processor, basically to the distribution of that energy to your fork. Well, what people really are confused about is how trapped that is from the soil all the way to their fork, how many touch points that really do happen in that on the multinational level through the supermarkets, through retail spaces across the world. What we're doing in the Beef Initiative is we're basically decentralizing all that. We don't need you multinationals. Thank you. Appreciate you. You got us here. You guys go do you. We're going to do us. And what we can do now is we can do that vertical integration and we can tell you everything about what the soil? Oh yeah, we got that. We can tell you about the grass too. We can actually tell you about that cow. We can actually tell you about who me, the producer rancher. Yeah, we can tell you about us as well. And then what we do is, oh, we control the distribution. We're going to basically harvest that animal. We know the hanging weight of that animal whenever it was harvested. That's a question you folks need to start asking. And so there's all these little touch points that we eliminate. We are now the authority. We are now the beef intelligence that most people are wanting. And by saying that, you know, it is about energy. It's about being empowered when you wake up. It's about laughing when we're telling stories about peeing on electric fences. And so what we need to do is this is not like a big old retail chain across the United States sending you beef through a marketing plan. We are not a marketing plan. We're real life stories. And all of us, I think in the Beef Initiative, are some of the most energetic people I've ever seen. Yeah. And for you guys to travel around the, the, the nation, really, and to travel in the RV and to do what you do, you know, you're, you have a big year coming up because we had the micro summit and we'll be talking about the micro summit more and more, even going into 2023. But we've had conversations as far as Beef Initiative, Texas Slim, Ann and Weldon Warren, 
What are you guys, what do you see for your roadmap? Because I know that you're going to be a major distributor of beef, grass-finished beef through the Beef Initiative. We're going to ramp that up because you want to get out of Whole Foods. You want to transition all of those cattle into the Beef Initiative. So we're working on that. And you are such good educators and you guys have traveled the country. You do love to go out and do what you did in Tennessee. So I would say that Bitcoin Park, Tennessee, Micro Summit, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association was a playbook for you guys to be able to go do what you really want to do right now as far as your journey into education and in ranching, you know, starting right here in West Texas. Right. So I'd like to talk about the U.S. Cattlemen's Association because one I loved about that um, it is I, ha- I had a chance to stand up at the end. They asked, hey, how, what do you see for 2023? And I said, I see that us ranchers in this room of which is completely diverse. There were a lot of feedlot ranchers. There were a lot mm-hmm. of uh, even packers. There was a guy that is becoming a smaller but big packer um, to all the way down to um, what Cole is doing, pastured grain finished to what we're doing, grass finished. And Bringing us together and united, they are very like-minded politically, conservatively, um, sovereignty. Um, is that a word? But anyways. It is. <laughs> it is. So I just did. <laughs> um, and so bringing us together and stop the division that the big brother has tried to put in us within the beef industry is really, really important. And so I'd like to see our 2023 to continue um, to close the gap of the divisions within the beef industry and let us continue to talk about the 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 need, especially for children, because I'm maternal, especially for children to eat beef. You know, the need for the beef to be an American beef to be accessible for American children. Um, that's I, anyways, going out and bridging that gap and educating. And and definitely Weldon is so good at this, taking um producers who who want to become more natural, who want to make their land more sustainable. Um, he he mentors them. And so we want to continue that and giving, like you're saying, something that we we hadn't really thought about, but we're really good at is teaching people how to get market access and what yeah. do you do and, and how to relate to those customers. And um, anyway, so that's what I'm hoping 2023 is for us. And, and where I really want to focus and have been focusing to some degree, Slim, is homesteading. Uh, it there is nothing more thrilling for me to get a photo from one of our customers who's kind of not our customer anymore because <laughs> I told them the kind of animal they need to go look for. They find it. Uh, they have their own twenty acres. They have their own pens, their own barn now, and now it's time to put down their very first animal. They do, and then they send me a photo of what their freezer looks like packed full of their own beef, and that is beef security. So there's a great story to be told about homesteading, how easy it is, uh, how easy it is with your own dairy cow. You don't have to be on a milking schedule. If you'll have uh, little cell barn orphan calves nursing that jersey Mm -hmm. or brown-hooded dairy cow, uh, it's such a wonderful (laughs) act of nature to watch uh, these dairy cows adopt uh, a cap that's not their own, it takes them about, oh, two seconds mm-hmm. and they adopt it. And they just yeah. say, latch on and start start sucking. And, and they do. Right. And now you're in control of your own food supply. Yeah. And that's just a wonderful story. So uh, I'm going to probably write a little pamphlet, you know, <laughs> a 30-page book uh, to well, share. 
right there. Okay. And that's what something that I've, I've, as we've grown in the beef initiative and all of this true education and information and content is streaming into, you know, my basically email, my phone, every device I touch, people are wanting to know and people are wanting to give. People are wanting to receive, people are wanting to give. And so by saying that, you know, what do we do as far as the beef initiative? Well, we have this podcast that we're going to, you know, continually pump out and most of it's going to be content from the producers and ranchers. You know, everybody that's a part of the beef initiative gets to come on this show. That's what we're going to start making happen. That's what it's about. It's not about LARPing or influencing. It's about education from the source of the seed and then up. But by saying that, you know, we're going to actually have a producer uh, newsletter that we will now, the Beef Initiative, be sending out to all the ranchers, producers in the Beef Initiative. So we'll have a Texas Slim Substack newsletter, and then we're going to have the Beef Initiative newsletter that is directly targeted at the producers themselves. By saying that, then what we're going to do is like, okay, guys, we need content. So start sending it to us. Send us all the content that you want because we're going to publish it for you. Now you have a new voice that you did not have yesterday. Not only are you selling through the Beef Initiative with putting your information on the platform itself, but now you have a gateway that you can give us how you got here. Why do you do what you do? What is it that you do? How do you do it? Homesteading. Whatever it is, every producer in the Beef Initiative now gets the lead with their content we publish it in there for what are we doing? We're educating a nation again, and we're showing the diversity, the lack of competition, the collaboration that we have going on here. And one thing that's going to be fun is all of the wonderful producers that are the pioneers of the Beef Initiative. That would include you guys, Jason, and it'll be Cole Bolton, you know, Scott in Colorado. One person that I'm really going to start working with and you guys are going to really get to know is Justin Trammell of Panhandle Meats of Tear Bloom. He opened up his own processing center. And so, you know, he's had him and his father, Donnie Trammell. They've, they've pioneered into a space. As we said before, guys, there was 254 possibly mothballed processing centers. We got one right here between Amarillo and Canyon, Texas. And the the fascinating thing is Justin's just blowing it off. The, the We're creating food sheds. There's a new community be built, being built right here in the Texas Panhandle. And so we're going to be talking a lot about processing and the bottleneck of the processing and why it is basically the biggest prohibition against our health that this generation and this basically the last 50 years that this nation has ever seen. And we got proof and we've got food intelligence and we got beef intelligence and we are decentralizing basically everybody's mindset first and then their lives into the, basically the education that the producers are going to be bringing through the beef initiative. And so what I just said is a big challenge to you guys because we, we, we want a voice, right? Well, now you guys get right and, well, you got a thirty-page pamphlet, to, and JP and I will turn it into a digital form. And guess what? You have a new educational tool that came through the Beef Initiative that was basically stewarded by a holy cow, which has been showing proof of work for the last twenty-something years. Yeah, it's magical, isn't it? It's just—it's so easy. It's yeah. complicated. So, so I want to hear more, Weldon. There you go. So I want that pamphlet. 
They'll do it. They'll do it. <laughs> and I'm going to share one more thing. Uh, I don't know how much more time we have, but uh, all these people listening to this uh, podcast as we are dealing with a pretty severe winter storm hitting West Texas and all through the north yeah. uh, up into uh, to you know the Great Lakes, uh, cattle uh, on these really cold days, uh, God gave them that instinct to take care of their young. Uh, they take care of themselves, but they certainly take care of their young. And I don't know why I didn't take a picture of this. I've seen this many times, but I, I just didn't take a picture. But we had a really, really, really cold winter uh, last year, the, the Arctic blast we had. And I was traveling down a farm market road, probably about 100 cows out there in the pasture. And the wind was blowing 30 miles an hour. The chill factor was probably negative 30. And they during the winter time is when all these cows typically calve. I know. Typically on the coldest day of the year is when they're going to calve, and they had formed a circle slim around their calves. Yeah, and those calves were just perfectly warm. Uh, I mean, I just sat there and I stopped and I just looked at it and I said, "This is the beauty of nature and God's plan." Those cows can certainly have enough back fat to protect themselves, but these little calves don't have back fat. But the calves were all in the middle, and the hundred mama cows had encircled them and kept was keeping them perfectly warm. As we deal with this little winter storm we're about to have now, uh, and you're cold, well, God had already made the plans for the cattle to keep them warm. Yeah, yeah. I love that story because, you know, Sean and I just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was about the, the cow itself. And basically throughout the period of time, uh, you know, a- ancient civilizations, everybody has always worshipped the cow. And that's something, once again, people do not realize, well, why did they? Well, well, stuff like that right there. They, they basically are a connection to basically stewarding our, our children and they are our connection to stewarding our land. And they give us uh, that energy that I talk about, that empowerment, that circle of life. And they've always been a part of it. And you look at the people that are basically trying to control us, which they always do through monetary food means. Control the food, you control the world, people control the seed, you control the person. So, you know, what we have to do is we have to put our foot down and we are doing it within the beef initiative and saying, guess what? nice story there, but we've got one better. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I see every day. I see how a mama cow protects its young. Well, you know, that's what in the beef initiative, all you basically moms out there that are basically wanting to take care of your children. Well, you're going to learn a lot. So point your compass in this direction and and, and invest in a lifestyle that's going to basically give your child a new chance in this life. Did you see what the uh, FDA did last week? I'm going to bring this up. It's my rant. They they basically moved the BMI chart for obese kids in the United States to 60. They doubled it because we're under an obesity epidemic in our children. All right, people, almost 50% of our children are on their way to obesity in this nation. What does that mean? Well, they're going to die young. That's what that means. And our human adult consumption model and consumer demand are killing our children. And it's time to wake up and look at that. Why would they basically move the target? The FDA 
the one, uh, well, no, it wasn't the FDA. I, I take that back. It was the CDC. I get them mixed up. But anyways, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, moved the obesity BMI chart, basically. And they've basically expanded it out because we're getting bigger and unhealthier and we're getting deadlier and we're getting deadlier as adults because we're feeding our children poisons. If you need the facts, come and look at the I am Texas Slim podcast and you'll be able to see Go and sign up for the Texas Slim Substack, texasslim.substack.com because there's that rant, there's the link in that article. So anyways, I had to get that out because people need to be very aware of that. they don't they don't understand the children there is there is a childhood um type 1 diabetes that that's a real thing but type 2 diabetes is 100% curable 100% and that's what mm-hmm. these young children are getting which has no place i mean there we'll is talk no about place fatty liver. and fatty liver we've talked about that before i mean you get you have an obese child you're going to have fatty liver disease a lot of that is from the high fructose corn syrup which is a, adding to why they're obese but i mean all, anyways they've got to eat meat just please yeah eat meat. <laughs> well i mean eat your children so our, our, our cola companies were doing just fine financially with real sugar uh cokes let's, right. let's call it a coke but then they had to go to fructose right and then that wasn't good enough they had to make it even sweeter so now it's high fructose corn syrup it's sure just- and that is pure poison yeah. that your children are yeah, drinking 100%. and it's going to get well you, you know my phrase is like the supermarket has become the convenience store and the convenience store is now the supermarket yeah and, yeah. and it's so true and that's what you know i was driving to tennessee and i went into to get gas and i don't spend much time there i'll just go and use the restroom whatever thank god they don't have electric fences but <laughs> what i did see see how i did that <laughs> but what I did see is I saw this. I saw this one family. It was a mother, and it was about four kids, and it was breakfast time. And people were lining up. You could tell people were going to work. People were eating breakfast, and most people eat breakfast and dinner or lunch at convenience stores now. They're getting. That's the only innovation that I'm seeing. In like in Amarillo, Texas, we got a bunch of tootin' totems going up and a bunch of pack of sacks going up. But then you got between Amarillo and Canyon, Texas, you don't have one supermarket, but you got three convenience stores going up. And so that's what our nation is coming. Is and whenever you have a convenience store, folks, that's called a food desert. There is no food in there. What they have is convenient consumption that basically is feeding you poison and is killing your kids. Right. And so, uh, once again, it's up to the intentional adults that are aware of this to make this change, this lifestyle change that you, you won't get on a cruise ship. What you do is you get it internally first. And that's what we're doing within the beef industry here. We're basically getting back to the internal power source of the beef industry, where it came from. And we're going to grow from within. We're not going to come from without and and land in our communities and feed our communities anymore because our food communities across this nation, y'all have seen it this year, they're food deserts. And that's, that's what people need to see. We've seen it firsthand. All the way to Colorado, all the way to Georgia, all the 40,000 miles I drove, I, y'all probably got close to me driving that as much as y'all have. So let's, uh, let's, let's give some things. Um, it's before Christmas as we're recording this. And one thing, and, and we'll close out this show. What we do is, you know, we let everybody know that this is basically podcasting 2.0. And what that means is that people can stream sats and boost with Bitcoin. 
But one thing that we did in, in, in Nashville at the Micro Summit is that we had an auction. And what we did is it was on the fly, but we had proof of paint. If you guys look him up on Twitter, it's at proof of paint. Anyways, he's an artist. He made the Bitcoin cowboy. He digitally painted a beautiful work of art that we auctioned off. And where did that money go to? Well, it went into what else? The I Am Texas Slim Foundation, which is a trust fund for our ranchers to where we give grants. The first one is Jason Rick of Rick Branches in Colorado. Well, he gets $10,000 in 2023 to basically steward students about regenerative farming and ranching. And how's that funded? Well, I funded it first, but then I walk away from it because it's going to be every one of y'all right there. Every one of y'all are funding it. And we had Orion Giggs that he bought that painting. Not going to well, say I how much, but it was pretty good. What's that? I, I tried to buy He it. outbid you. He did. Well, it went he, back and forth a bunch. It was exciting. And then he came up to me and he said, you know, it didn't matter how high you were going to go. I was going to, I was going to buy really And he's got a hell of a story why he beat you. So yes, don't feel bad. Yes, Warren. Yes, well, yes, then it's good. But what we did is like all of a sudden you guys had some extra beef. And yeah. so you guys auctioned off your beef and yeah. you got rid of all the beef. And so. Yeah, yeah. You, and it you, went for almost you, as much you, as the painting. <laughs> It did, didn't it? Well, I think it was worth it. Of course, it's worth it. But we had a lot of guys there, and I've already said them on one pack. I'm going to say it again. We need to give thanks because everybody that attended that micro summit made this happen. This this is now the playbook for our micro summits that we're going to have across the United States because we're going to open source them. We're going to allow people to have their own micro summits, and they're going to be stewarded and advised by people like you. Me and the Beef Initiative will have event coordinator. So everybody asks me, when you come to Michigan, when you come to Iowa, when you come to Oklahoma, well, it's up to you guys now because we're going to allow you to do it and you're going to have access to ranchers and beef and education. So yep. anyways, I want to say, say, say thank you to, these are the people that participated in giving and funneling money and value into the grant trust program, the I Am Texas Slim Trust Grant Foundation that we formed and partnered up with Unchained Capital. You can go, you'll be able to see it soon. But anyways, Clay Carty, Stu Hartley, Larry Stafford, Trevor Thompson, Ted Castator, Sam, so many other people. And then everybody that's been watching this podcast, we actually like to give thanks because they're streaming sats. Have y'all tried to stream sats yet through Fountain? A tiny bit. A tiny, tiny bit. bit. Yeah. It's a slow step, but you download the Fountain app is what you right. do. And then you get to people stream sats like, here we go, 100 sats from Hendroxy B. I can't really say that. But anyways, thank you. Uh, Busted Canoe is always there streaming sats. Uh, some user doesn't want to be known. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then listen to this one. This is good. You guys are going to like this, and especially you, Weldon, from what you said earlier. It's at J-R-C. Y-N-O-W. Okay. Hello, Slim. You're an inspiration by mentioning me on your last podcast. You have given me the final push to start my own YouTube channel. If you're going to send people my way, they need a place to go. Right now, I just have an email, gingerbreadfarmsmi at gmail.com. But I will have a YouTube channel about the chaos of a small homestead. If anyone has any questions, please email. I will respond. Thanks again. You're an inspiration. I send all my fountain sats to you, the Beef Initiative. 
I love so it. We got people like that stepping up that it's value for value. They're saying, okay, we kind of enjoyed the story about pissing on hot wire <laughs> fences. I'm going to stream you some sats. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's innovation. How- I tell everybody innovation, innovation. Right. So th- then we have third, we have over 3,000 sats from Gene Everett. He's always there. We have Anthony, 100 sats. Anthony, 100 sats. Anthony, 100 sats. See how that works? He did it seven times. Wow. <laughs> we have so many people are now figuring out what we're doing within the beef initiative. One thing that we're doing is giving thanks. We're extremely grateful for everybody that's participated with us this year from our volunteers the people that are just watching and contributing. You know, there's people in the Beef Initiative I've never met that they basically go out and work every week and they do this one small little task and it makes all this run. Never met them, had never even known them. But what we do is we decentralize and we, we compartmentalize our expertise. And that's what each rancher is doing right now. They're compartmentalizing their expertise. They're sharing the wealth. They're giving back to their community because they want to feed you you guys, this has been a wonderful podcast. We can go on forever. We're going to do more this year, of course. So what are your Christmas plans? What's going over, you know, New Year's? What does is, what is the Warren family do these days to celebrate? Before, before we go there, I just want to, from Ann and, and myself, we want to say Merry Christmas to the Harris family, White Oak Pastures, to, to uh, Jason, Cole, Cole, Bolton. Cole Bolton and his wife, and to J.B. Chay. JP right here in Lubbock, yeah. and to Teresa Martin, uh, who we really got to know very well in Colorado. Uh, anyway, so this this group of people that you have and allowed Jason us, Rick and Jason Rick, of course. Uh, yeah, and Sean. Don't forget Sean. Oh, Don't forget Sean. See, you're more and more. Now and more. you know how I feel. I, I know. <laughs> Don't forget all these people. So, right. Merry Christmas. Now. And what are we doing for Christmas? Uh, we're ho- we're hosting. We have a um, we host Christmas at our house. So our daughter and son in law are coming in. Um, we have four grandchildren. They uh, we're blessed. They live across the street. They'll be here. Um, well, two of our two of our four kids will not be here. Uh, so we're going to kind of have several different celebrations. Um, and then for New Year's, we're actually going to Albuquerque to see our uh, really dear dear friends. So. Um, anyways, that's, you know, we love to travel. So we're going over there to the Sandia mountains. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Awesome. You're going to go up to Sandia peak. We, we did last time. Yep. Yep. We did. Yeah, But they don't have very good food. So I know it's not, it's not, but anything with a good view never has good food. They say, well, we got the view. We don't have to have good food. Right. Right. (laughs) I love that. I love that cable car. Yeah. That's really cool. It's fun. It is that, that gondola. Do you say gondola or gondola? Gondola. gondola. You're from, yeah, you're from up north. Is it gondola or is it gondola? Progress so. or progress. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, this is going to be an interesting story. I'm going to do my own personal podcast, New Year's. But guess what? I went out and me and my boy, I found a 1976 El Camino. No way. car. Oh and it's got original engine, 9,000 miles on it. It's wow. got dual exhaust. It's got good tires. Got a and it runs good. It's not a super sport. You see, you, yeah. you knew that, Weldon. You knew to ask that question. So good job. 
<laughs> well, it does have some racing stripes on it. I'll show y'all a picture. But what we're going to do is we're going to drive that thing. There's not going to be any snow, darn it. But what we're doing also is we're getting ready because those fine folks over in Australia are flying Texas Slim and his son over to do some of these micro summits. And so February 4th, I think we're going over. So y'all are going to have to hold down the fort. And y'all are going to have to give a lot of pamphlets and write a bunch of stuff before I'm gone because you're going to keep it going because the beef initiative is now run by the producer and ranchers. What we're doing is facilitating your voice. So everybody comes to me. It's like, well, hey, are you going to mention this? And so you're going to mention yourself because you have your own voice and it's right through the beef initiative, right? And so this mountaintop is going to get very loud because we're going international here. And uh, we're going to lead it with a lot of great pioneers into our ranching industry. And we're going to do it the way our grandparents and our great-grandparents got us here. So, you know, we could talk and talk. We're going to talk more. But guys, man, you've been great this year. What a wonderful year it's been. Uh, JP, thank you for introducing me to Ann and Weldon. Yes. And um, thank you for allowing me to crash on your nice bed and all that kind of stuff and feeding me and, you know, all the fun things that we've done so far. We're just getting started. I tell everybody, it's like, well, 2022 was actually, we needed to survey the land and we need to survey the people and the environment in which we operate in. Well, guess what? We're ready and we're going to go out there. We are the new beef industry and we're going to start, start talking about it. And everybody is going to start becoming the new modern day cattle man and cattle woman. And how are you going to get there? Well, you're going to cowboy and cowgirl, cowboy, cowgirl up That's and right. we're going to do it with eloquence and sophistication. Absolutely. So love you guys. Merry yeah. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And how can we get a hold of you though? Everybody wants y'all now. So let <laughs> them know. Dot com. Just it's super That's easy. That's it. Three words run together. But it's H O L Y. Yes. And it has a halo over the O. That's right. H O L Y. People have been misspelling that word. But anyways, holycowbeef.com. And yeah. go to the TexasSlim.substack.com and because we did a series, a two-part series on you guys. And of course, now with this podcast that you guys have just watched, you're going to share it to everybody you know. So wow. we're going to make this viral. We are grassroots. Basically, we're grass-fed, and we're basically innovating into a space. We're not a marketing plan. What we're doing is we're a collection of people that are basically, right now, we're shooting for 100,000 subscribers for people that are trying to reclaim their health and their self-sovereignty again. And we're going to lead it with the great American rancher producer, just like Ann and Weldon Warren of Holy Cow Beef. Thank you. Love you guys. We're going to see you soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Be safe. Yes, sir.